And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Spin Race. My name is Drew Fairservice, and I'm so excited to welcome everyone to the second episode of the brand new Blue Jays podcast here on The Athletic. Uh, my name is Drew. I am one of the co-hosts of this show, and I am very excited to introduce the other co-hosts, the other half of Spin Rate you've read here, here on The Athletic for years, and she is now a seasoned podcasting veteran here in episode number two, Caitlin McGrath. Caitlin, how are you? I am doing well. How are you? I'm doing uh, doing all right. I'm doing all right. Again, seasoned veteran of podcastery. Uh, but it's it's an exciting time now. You know, spring training is is underway. We are the familiar sounds and smells of spring training, which is uh, you know, the hey, can you uh, mute your mic? We're here on on Zoom with uh with 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 Charlie Montoyo. Uh oh, uh, and here's some here's some B-roll that the team threw together that that everyone gets to share the same videos on social media, whatever. I, in some ways we're spared the terrible uh beat writer iPhone photos from spring, but um, it's so much better that we're there. Uh, you know, we talked a little bit about this last week. Caitlin, you're not there, as nobody is. Uh, are, do you, are you missing it? Do you wish you were there right now? Do you wish you were maybe in Florida, not in frozen southern Ontario? I am missing it. And I didn't really give it much thought, I think, um, because I knew for so long that I wouldn't be going, that it didn't even occur to me to... Uh, recognize that I wouldn't be going or it just it was not in the realm of possibility I wasn't considering it so um I just kind of went along and, and thought that um I wouldn't really be thinking about it that much but I now that's actually started and kind of remembering what spring is actually like um I am really missing it and it's not really just for like the weather obviously that's a plus being in Florida for you know two weeks at a time when the weather can be really cold and really gross here is obviously really nice. Um, but just like the types of stories you get to do in spring training, I really miss just kind of catching up with guys, um, getting to know like what players did in their off season. Um, generally speaking, like I think I said this last time, but like players are more relaxed when it comes to spring training, just like the pressures of the season haven't really hit yet. Um, everybody's in the best shape of their lives, of course. Um, and so just generally the vibe is really good. You end up sort of maybe doing stories that you wouldn't typically, typically get to do in, um, a season, I think, though, I was doing like a live Q&A this morning. I don't know if anyone was on it. Uh, I got a lot of questions. Um, but, you know, someone did ask me, like, what are you missing most about spring training? And I think I'm just in general missing how I used to do my job, just like not just specifically during spring training, but just like I miss like going <laughs> to a ballpark and like actually watching baseball live. I miss having face-to-face -face conversations with players because – you can get a little bit more information then. Like I think 
talking through screens or talking through phones. Everybody's used to it now. But there's just something about face-to-face contact, which I think we've all come to learn after this last year that we've all lived through. Like we just so so badly appreciate what having face-to-face conversations was like and what kind of um, interactions you can have when you're standing beside somebody. Um, So I just generally like miss doing the job that way. And you know, there's uh, the nice thing about spring too is you can kind of kind of go your own way sometimes. Like, you know, a lot of times there will be scrum settings and of course you're kind of present in those so that you can pick up all the news and kind of know what Charlie's saying or know what some players are saying, especially the first few days of spring, very scrum heavy because it's like the first time players have talked for a really long time. Um, so everybody wants to ask some questions, but just like after that, it can, um, you know, if some guys aren't playing in a game, they might hang back and you can kind of just like, there's not a, there, there's not very many people around. So you can get some guys, um, at that time and you can get them for a really long time, like sometimes like 20, 30 minutes talking to them. Um, and you can kind of just uncover stories that, um, maybe some other reporters aren't on, or you just get a really unique angle yourself. So, yeah, I just kind of miss the relaxed vibe of it. It's it's different. Like I feel like I've relearned how to do my job throughout this year and now I'm relearning once again how to cover spring training this way because I've never done it before. So, and it really isn't the same as the season because there's no games to go off of for my writing. There's not you know, there's almost so many storylines that it's hard to find a direction. So, I'm definitely still figuring out spring training this way. Um, so it's a long-winded way of saying, yes, I miss it. I feel like, uh, someone who is on the beat and at the ballpark every day, uh, it's easy to, on the, to miss from the outside how much the job is about relationships and developing, you know, these are professional relationships. Nobody, you you know, the, maybe in the old days you used to read about, oh, a a player invites a writer to their wedding or something like that. I don't know that that's especially something that's ready to happen, uh, regularly, but, but they are, it is about professional relationships and being able to, to develop those through screens and, and through zoom calls that are with a dozen other people becomes really tough. And it's also hard to, um, to sort of, steal away some time to, uh, with someone else to be like, Hey, or, you know, if you're, if you're messaging with a player, if you, maybe somebody you've gotten to know and they like, Oh, here's my, here's my number. You can text me whatever, if you need something um, that those are harder to get. And then, so it's all suddenly everyone's just, it's, you know, you don't want it to be just, I'm going to recount what was said in a zoom that every other reporter uh, uh, got. So there are those extra challenges, but, and I think from, from, so fans, um, may, I don't know, not, not miss out. Cause I think that it's just, you know, good writers like yourself are going to put your creativity cap on, pull it down even tight and, uh, dig a little, dig deeper to, to come up with those good stories. But the good thing about the Blue Jays is there are already lots of stories for us to chew on here, um, in spring as while these sort of oddly stilted zoom calls or whatever, there is information. There's lots of stuff to talk about. And I think we should get this episode off to a good start by bringing in our very first guest ever on spin rate. We're going to talk to Josh Goldberg of The Fan. You've heard him sometimes on Blue Jays Talk. You hear him as a host on The Fan 590 um, all the time. So we're going to talk to him. But again, we really are excited for everyone to join us here on Spin Rate. If you haven't already, you can hit uh, subscribe on your favorite podcast platform of choice. If it's on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, whatever it is. Uh, We have, in fact, hopped on the old podcast's 
feed. So if you were subscribed, you're probably subscribed and that's how you're listening to this. But if you're new, welcome. Really excited for uh, for everyone who might be tuning in for the first time. Make sure you hit that subscribe button and uh, and get, the, get new episodes of Spinrate every week and then maybe uh, more than that. Exaggerated shrug that no one can see except for Caitlin because we're on camera, but this is a podcast. So we're really excited about the second episode of, of Spinrate. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back and talk to Josh Goldberg of the Fan 590. There'll be more spin rate coming up in just a second. But first, we want you to listen to this. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, as we mentioned before, it is our pleasure at this time to be joined by a man. You hear him on the Fan 590. Sometimes you even hear him hosting Jay's Talk. It is our pleasure at this time to welcome the first guest in the history of Spinrate, Mr. Josh Goldberg. Josh, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. What an honor. First guest. What an introduction also. <laughs> yeah. Usually I'm, I'm on the side of introducing guests. Like I, I've talked to both of you a, a number of times, Caitlin, uh, you know, a, a zillion times on the radio. Yes. <laughs> so it's nice to be on the other side of it. And like, hey, talking Blue Jays, especially in spring training, when we all know we're just dripping with storylines, even though, you know, there's like a zillion weeks to go until the season and we're just going to be banging our heads against the wall until the season starts. Still very, very exciting that we actually have a fun team. It seems like to get into. Absolutely. It's a fun team to, it's going to be a fun team to cover. Hopefully it's going to be a fun team to watch. Uh, and as you mentioned, it is here in the early days of spring training when the storylines are ripening beautifully and we can select them off a tree, like an ugly, light fixture in my dining room and <laughs> so let's start with it's not the biggest storyline it has been in previous years the biggest storyline and that is what's going on with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. so there was a bit of clarity today of course when camp opened there was a video that the, the delightful state video that the Blue Jays sent out of Vlad taking uh, grounders at third base with Kevin Biggio but there was a pretty telling quote that came out today um, that, that I think we should spend a little bit of time on. And, uh, I, I don't know, Josh, do you have it off? Do you know it offhand? Do you know the quote I'm referring to? Uh, are we talking about his potential as a defensive first baseman? That's correct. Okay. So I, I believe the quote was becoming a first base, a gold glover first baseman. Yeah. So yeah, we want Lad to go out and become a gold glove first baseman, which no pressure. Uh, 
which is which says that maybe the third base thing is a bit of a, not a pat on the head, but but a, a bit of a carrot that they're still dangling a little bit. But I do think that there's there's a lot of value in saying this is going to be your job. Go out and do it as well as you can. Um, I know we talked a little bit off air, uh, Josh. Do you think this is maybe the best fit for for both Vlad Jr. and for the Blue Jays with him playing first base the lion's share of the time? I think so. Yeah, I. I I just I, I feel like I've probably seen you know it still hasn't been that many games for him as a as a big leaguer and you know he only played really uh, twenty nineteen at third base and even if he's lost a lot of weight which he has you know forty two pounds is nothing uh, to sneeze at I just I don't know fundamentally if he's ever gonna be anything at third base you know his range is not particularly good his arms fine but I just feel like I can see him being average or better defensively at first base. I don't think it you need to be that great. Like Rowdy Telez has had some defensive value. I don't think he's great. You know, Justin Smoke always had this reputation as being a great defensive first baseman. I don't know how much I, I, I ever really, really bought that. But as long as he's not killing you there, yeah, it puts more pressure on him offensively. But I still don't really like. Do people doubt that he's going to hit? Are we starting to doubt of season and sixty games into his career that his hit tool just maybe isn't as good as we all thought it was? Because I, I still am really confident as soon as this season that we're going to see that you know two eighty plus average, three fifty plus on base with thirty plus home run. You know, somebody who can anchor the middle of your lineup. And if he's at first base, you know, playing okay there defensively, as long as the bat is there, then then I think you know you're you're going to be happy, thrilled even with uh, with what you see from him. I I do think the Blue Jays made the right move this offseason to allow Vlad to tap into whatever motivation he needed to tap into to get as fit as possible to lose the weight that he wanted to lose to build strength to get quicker and that motivation was obviously to at least prove that he could move back to a third base like um I don't know I wasn't in those conversations I don't know what they told him but certainly um there was a belief or he wanted to prove people wrong he wanted to show that he could play third base again he did a little bit in uh, the winter league one question that has come up a few times with Atkins, with uh, Montoyo, even with Vlad today, um, and I'll ask both of you guys for your thoughts on this, is just the idea that would it would it have been smarter um, to simply tell Vlad that you're a first baseman now and just let him focus on that? Because the thing is, if he spent his offseason learning both positions once again – and in reality, if he was going to play the majority of games at first base, um, should they have just said, you know what, Vlad, we appreciate you. We think you're going to be a franchise player for us. We think you're going to be a special bat, but we really just want you to be a first baseman. Told him last year that they wanted him to be a gold glove first baseman so that he could just focus on that position. Because at this point, as I understand it, he's kind of still split his time working at both positions, which, you know, just knowing if you want to be perfect or you want to be good at something, you should really just hone in on doing that one thing. So like, what do you guys think about that perspective of if it would have been wiser for the Blue Jays to have just really selected a position for Vlad to um, work on his defense? I don't know. I, I think there's value in in having him bolster his skills at, at third base, both from a confidence perspective, both from a 
it's a bit more of a uh, a different kind of carrot that's dangled even a little bit further down the road as such to to push him into different kinds of physical you know adding that extra level of physical rigor where if he's like oh, i'm just gonna play first base it doesn't really matter i mean i think at the end of the day he's not going to be a good defensive player particularly at either position uh his big one of his big strengths is his arm of course as we've all as we all sort of saw and read uh, when he was coming up uh foot, you know the the emphasis on footwork and sort of you know understanding knowing himself and, and being able to understand his range and also what his core responsibility is which is it doesn't matter what kind of range you have at first base you've got to be tethered to the back you got to be able to get back to it in time so being you know being quicker and things like that doesn't really factor into it so i don't mind the idea of of allowing him to continue to work towards it because if by some miracle the end the end result is he does in fact become a quasi viable third baseman that just makes him that much more valuable a player. And it makes the team that much more dangerous because as of, as as of today, they don't have a third baseman. If they have the opportunity to move him into that spot, if they're like Rowdy Telez is swinging the bat, well, Vlad is swinging the bat. Well, and you know, we, so, so as Randall Gritchick, so as Teoscar Hernandez, whatever you are, or, or, or uh, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. You have then space to 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 accommodate all of these kinds of players it just gives you that extra little wrinkle where you know the blue jays added two decent defensive players this year which brings their sum total as a team to two so anything you can do to to bolster the defense around the rest of the diamond so that means that moving moving gritchick into the outfield because he is a strong uh, strong defender that you can uh, take Teoscar Hernandez and move him to DH a little bit. Like they're there, they have a few of these guys who have the real high potential to be real dangerous threats at the plate, but also real negatives in the field. So if you can have Vlad be a negative over there versus a negative over here, it's not necessarily the worst thing in the world. And, and all the work in the world at first base isn't going to make that much of a difference. You know, uh, Josh's point about Justin Smoke is a good one where, you know, the, the most brilliant defensive first baseman, it doesn't really make that much of a difference. We all love to talk about scoops and the ability to dig balls out of the dirt. But it's a really, when you look at the the the, the kind of defensive metrics and how much they account for in the end, those scoops are, are minute. They're minuscule. They don't add up nearly as much as having a better defensive shortstop, which is another debate for another day. And, and, and the, maybe the ability to go get the ball in the outfield a little bit more. Like those things add outs where a couple scoops here and there, or even if it's, you know, one a game, it, it, it's just really not that big a difference. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think that that's fair. And I guess part of me wondering about this is, you know, there was all this talk in the offseason. His Instagram account still said Toronto Blue Jays third baseman. He clearly views himself as a third baseman. We're not privy. I don't I don't know how the conversations may have gone, you know, like telling him that they wanted him to be a, a gold glove first baseman. I wonder how much you want to placate a young player who you view as a linchpin. Him and Bo Bichette are going to be your guys, your homegrown studs here, hopefully for the next decade, and you can win the World Series with them. And do you seem vain of with Bo here going forward at shortstop, whether that's his long-term home? Do you want to get off necessarily on the wrong foot and try and I guess, make an indictment on what their future is that they don't agree with. And I get that line of thinking, but at the end of the day, you know, what do you think is the best configuration to help your ball club win a lot of games? And 
the problem is we were talking about this off air a little bit. They don't really have a third baseman right now on this roster that you could unequivocally say is better than Vladimir Guerrero Jr. So that is somewhat problematic. I think Kevin Biggio, just because he's, he's, you know, I feel like maybe more fundamentally, fundamentally sound just in general defensively will probably be better there, but he's not somebody that you necessarily want to have playing every single day at third base. And they've said that they don't necessarily view him as such. So if he's not playing third every day, you know, what does third base look like? It's 162 games. If he's not playing close to 162, you know, how many is Vlad slotting in for? Is Marcus Semyon going to play some games at third base? You know, what are we talking about as far as the the pie chart? Who's going to end up seeing a lot of these games at third base if it's not going to be Biggio and it's not going to be Vlad? Well, it's going to be Biggio. I don't think they have any other options at the moment. That was like something that would I would say one of the bigger surprises of the offseason for me was just that they didn't really circle third base as a need of theirs. Like they were, they did say from the start of the offseason, like Ross Atkins and I think Shapiro said it at some point too, is just like they viewed their roster very as very flexible. So they didn't really feel like they were boxed into any certain position. Like they felt like they could go after any guy based on his own skill level and kind of fit their roster around that. And like the name that was always mentioned in that was Kevin Biggio because you could really put him almost anywhere on the field and kind of have him adapt to that position. They sort of moved towards that at the end of last year. I can't remember how many games he played. I say, I think it was like 10 or 10 or 12, including the postseason. So really not that many, even in the minors, he played it occasionally, but not a ton. I mean, he's really been a second baseman for the majority of his, um, of his career. So like the versatility factor, I think for him, it's more just his willingness to do it as opposed and the Blue Jays appreciation of his willingness to do it. Um, that is why it's been such a thing for him. Um, he takes it quite seriously. He like wants to be a versatile guy. Um, I think he kind of likes having that role to be relied on, like being looked at as a guy that can move around and the team can always count on. Um, but yeah, like third base, um, you know, it it will be a new challenge for him. Obviously, he's going to be spending a lot of time there in spring. I would assume that um, even maybe before they signed Simeon, they told him it was a real possibility that he would be a third baseman. So presumably, he's been spending some time there um, working on it in the offseason. We're actually scheduled to talk to him tomorrow. So I imagine most of the questions will be about him playing third base. But yeah, the Simeon thing, like it makes sense. I think I've said this before, but like it makes sense why you would just tell a guy like that, like, what position do you want? It's yours because they wanted him to come here and he's a great player. And, you know, he's a, he's a good person to have in their lineup for a lot of different reasons. But just back to a point that we were talking about earlier is like the one thing why, where I I do like having Vlad is just the possibility of like a, like a late game um, replacement or like just mixing up the lineup a little bit. You just have a few more options if he can play third base, um, you know, just, occasionally at least and and we were talking off air too about like you know what what amount of games would we um think that he can play there whether it's a start or whether it's just you know he gets moved there later in the game and you know is it 10 is it 20 is it 30 like what like what number do we think 
How good would it be if it was 150? No, I, I, uh, uh, I think it's really tough to say. And, and there are folks who do roster projections or who are reading between the lines. And maybe if you're some fans or if you're, depending on your view of A, the importance of having a strong defender at third base or B, Vlad's, you know, um, inability to play third base. Maybe the more that Vlad plays at third base is a bit of like a canary in a coal mine situation where it's like, oh, if he's playing a ton of third base, they're in rough shape. Uh, because they haven't had anybody who's been able to step up and take that job from him. Um, they're going to have porous defense, which, again, they're not going to be a good defensive infield, I think, realistically anyway. Um, I, I, I've mentioned it before. I don't think Bobby Shad is an everyday shortstop in the big leagues. I think that's an added wrinkle of the Marcus Simeon signing. Where, um, But an added wrinkle of the Marcus Simeon signing, but also to Josh's point where I think it's – they're both players, uh, uh, Guerrero Jr. and Bich- and Bichette, are so um, uh, young in their careers that it feels feel it feels would feel premature if the team was like, "You're done at these positions. You're not a third baseman. You're not a shortstop." And the the ability to allow them to earn demotions or moves across the diamond in a way, I think there's value in that. But like being like, you know, show us that you can do it. Show us that you can go, you're willing to go out and put the work in, recognize your, your, your faults, recognize where you can improve and, and do it. But also something I think we talked about, uh, Caitlin and I talked about last week uh, on the show, which is, you know, there's no more, there's not as much runway anymore. This isn't like the, well, let's just see what happens. Like we're just playing here and, yeah. and, and maybe we'll compete next year. Like this is now, this is it. Uh, they need to win ball games. And, and, and if, if, if it means that they can't get away with hiding Vlad at third, at third base, then they won't. And if it means that Boba defensive struggles that sort of were obvious at the end of the season and in, in those couple of games against the Rays, if it's like this is an issue, then they'll move on. They need to win games. They need to, to, to take advantage of, of the window that they've created for themselves by spending all this money on Springer, by spending money on, on Hyunjin Ryu, by having sort of all these pieces in place. They don't need Bichette and, and Guerrero to be the guy that's going to drag the team into the playoffs, but they need them to be good. And they need the team to be good as a whole because that's the whole thing that they're doing here. So it'll be, that's an interesting balance to strike. And I think it'll be something to really keep your eye on where they, where the team sort of makes those decisions and where they say, okay, we've seen enough, which they did last year, right? In the summer, uh, you know, the summer break with, with Guerrero Jr. When he showed up, they were like, well, no, this is, you're not a third baseman. Like you're in terrible shape. This is not going to work. So they weren't afraid to pull it out from underneath him at that time. So I wonder, you know, how much runway he'll have or, or if they're, how much setting him down gently because they weren't in the business of doing that in the summer. Uh, I don't know, Josh, what do you think? Well, I guess the fact that, you know, you have your, your general manager throwing the word, word gold glove about first base, you know, maybe that's a, a message of sorts to, I guess, try and cushion the blow a little bit because psychologically, I'm sure Vladdy was keen on maybe earning third base and just having a great camp and a great, great grapefruit league exhibition season. And maybe proving that, you know what, I'm the guy at third base, Kevin Biggio, uh, you know, he can be all over the place and I'm going to be at third, but here in gold glove, maybe he thinks to himself or, you know, you can convince him that, Oh, well, you know, maybe this is something that can work for me. I don't want to abandon third base whatsoever, but it's something that I feel as though, Uh, I'm capable of doing. And, you know, as we're talking about first base, as long as he, his reads are better. How many times last year at first base 
Did he just like get caught in no man's land where he wasn't sure whether to go to the ball or go to the bag and it ended in mm -hmm. somebody beating out a play and the time for that is over. You, you bring up a good point about you want to put your best foot forward this year. I don't think people are going to expect this team to win the World Series this year. But, you know, George Springer's 31 years old. Yeah, you have him for a six-year deal. But how many great, great, great years does he have? You know, you would hope probably four of those years. But do you necessarily want to have one of them where your roster isn't as ideally constructed as possible? And the same thing with Ryu little bit older, obviously the injury history is extensive and, and what are you going to get from him going forward? This cannot be the type of year where you have to think about other things, I feel like, than winning ballgames. The primary sole objective has to be winning as many games as you can, contending in the division. And if some egos get hurt a little bit, whether it's Bichette playing a few less games at short, if that happens, if Semyon plays some at short, or Vladdy playing little to no third base, you got to get these guys on board because, you know, they're talking about Bichette says this year will be a disappointment if there's no trophy brought home. Could be tough if, if you know, you're set in your ways and it doesn't go necessarily the way you want. So if he's at first base a lot and it's not necessarily what he was envisioning for himself you know what is he going to do about it is it going to be one of these things where you know the effort isn't there defensively or he just makes some some rough mistakes and then offensively there's a dip or is he going to use it as something that he can pick himself up by the bootstraps and you know be the kind of defensive player that you're not worried about because i feel like a lot of times when you think about vlad defensively whether it's at first or third you're just hoping that he doesn't kind of trip all over himself and make a bunch of mistakes so as long as there's none of that and the offensive numbers are good and solid and consistent because that's something that we still really haven't seen he's had great months he just hasn't really put it together that's all that matters because you know try and and win as many games as you possibly can this year because who knows what Tampa, Boston are doing going forward. You know, there's a real slice of opportunity here for the Blue Jays to make some noise because I I, I'm, I don't know about you guys. I, I don't know if I have the Yankees being this dominant force that a lot of the projections have. I, I, I would say there's a, a few things that, that have jumped to mind. Number one, uh, unfortunately, Vlad in the field, it reminds me of like if you have a kid that's really bad and you just put them out there and you just hope the ball doesn't get hit to them, like yeah. I don't want the ball to go, I don't want them to get hurt or embarrassed. And and so just let them stand out there in right field and like pick the grass and then when the inning's over, we'll wave them back in and they'll come up. But I think the big thing is that the that they hit, right? Vlad really has to hit. And and if he hits, it'll kind of take care of everything. And same with Bichette, you know, there are some who are a little wary of his offensive profile. I think that, you know, hitters hit and Bichette's done nothing but that his entire uh, you know, big league career so far, all whatever 90 games of it. But uh I think that if they are hitting and maybe their defense is sort of letting the team down a little bit, it'll be like, we're so happy. We're, you know, we're right there. We're going to make a couple changes because we're, you know, to keep winning ball games. And that might mean that, Bo, we're going to shift you to second. And, and Vlad, you're going to be our first baseman full time. Or might, maybe we're going to give you some more reps at DH, like, oh, which is gross to think about. But just keep doing what you're doing. Keep going out there and hitting. Keep, keep mashing the ball. We're going to score more runs than they will. And, uh, and our, but we're just going to make a couple of moves to, to tighten up the defense. And if that suddenly means that Marcus Simeon is getting a few extra reps at short, 
um, which no one is saying this except for me. That's like, I'm like way out on an island about this, about Marcus Simeon being like the secret shortstop of the baseball <laughs> team. But, uh, but I think that, the, that as long as they hit, everything else will sort of take care of itself. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think it's also if that becomes the identity of this team, then a lot of the guys will buy into it more. And there's nothing wrong with being a team that just mashes, right? Like there's nothing wrong with being a team that's just going to wildly outscore opponents. And the Blue Jays are going to have to rely on that anyway. Drew and I talked about this last week. Um, but like just just generally, I think we all know that the rotation is the weak spot on this team. So there are already going to have to be a team that could have to be making up for um, runs scored against them quite a bit. So just add in a few defensive errors and they just can keep scoring to make up for those as well. So, you know, I, I think that you're right that if the, if it comes to a point where the team just really needs to rely, rely on these guys for their offense, um, I think that'll just be kind of the team first mentality that they're always talking about anyway. Like, I think that just talking to these guys, knowing these guys, I mean, like Bichette does make a point of saying he wants to be a major league shortstop that's his goal like that's who he wants to be me too um, that's great <laughs> <laughs> but the, the same in the same breath they'll also say you know that you know they want the team to win and they want to do whatever's best for the team and you know you did see Bichette say things along the lines of if you know the Blue Jays had gone got Francisco Lindor like he would have you know moved over for a player of that caliber so I, I think that all of this is just you know an extension of giving the young guys chances to develop. And and right now the Blue Jays still want to give Bichette an opportunity to play shortstop. That's a position that he came up playing. That's a position he wants to play. He's really only, like you said, he's, I think he's played 75 games in the major yeah. leagues. So like, you can't even really say he's played a full season. He's played like two partial seasons essentially. So, I mean, at the very least, they've probably got to give him at least one season at shortstop, see what he can do. But you're right. Like if it is September and he's had some miscues and they're in a tight race and they've got to win a game, you know, maybe there is a swap there. I guess cross that bridge when it comes. But I think the Blue Jays at this point, um, I think we can safely say that Vlad, Vlad is going to be a first baseman um, for most of the upcoming year. I think that saying he could be, um, you know, a, a gold glove first baseman does soften that blow a little bit. I think it shows him that maybe this isn't what you envision, but you can be, you know, you can be one of the best in the league at this position, you know, instead of maybe uh, not one of the best in the, in the league at this other position, like it's kind of looking at it with a different lens, right? It's or a different view. And happens to people you know sometimes a lot of people want to be great at one thing and they end up not being that great at that one thing but they can if they can embrace something that they've maybe fallen into or um you know like me in this podcast right like <laughs> i <laughs> i'm embracing it <laughs> i was a writer before look at me now i'm a podcaster so you know maybe i can be a whatever you whatever kind of award they give for podcasters some potty award <laughs> the reward for podcasters is reading wild ads and then having your eyes get wider isn't wider as you're reading the copy uh the one thing i would say is and I, the in response to something that you've just said which is that this is the time now where yes you want these players to develop but their development does not no longer supersedes the yeah. team outcomes 
you can't say, well, we want Bo to develop into being a good shortstop. It's like not on my dime anymore. So it's like now we have to kind of adjust that calculus, calculus a little bit moving forward because, uh, or, you know, we're looking to the, looking to the future, but also the present is really, really important at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, it's going to be really fascinating because, you know, like you look at the free agent shortstop class after this season you know, I feel like even if Bo Bichette has a, a decent year at short, you know, you don't really talk about him a ton, but he's not leaping off the page. You should probably still be prioritizing shortstop because I, I think I'm with you, Drew. I just don't necessarily see him as an upper tier shortstop long term. And if you have the opportunity to you know, get in and on the market, whether it's trading in season for somebody like Trevor Story or Javi Baez or you know, Seager, some of these guys might be pipe dreams, but the same way Lindor was somebody that, okay, you know, we don't want to move Bo off of short, but if a player of that caliber becomes available, then that's obviously something that you're going to have to consider. I still think that that is a conversation that is probably going to be needed to be had. And I just, you know, as we're talking about, it's important now to focus on winning and putting wins above all else for the most part. I feel like something like that will fall into the equation, you know, making this team better. They did a great job this year, but it's far from a finished product. We're talking about all of these holes here, you know, uh, third base and the rotation and maybe shortstop. There are plenty of other moves that we would imagine are going to be happening here in the next, you know, 6, 12, 18 months, whatever it is. And if it means Vladdy at first and Bo at second, as long as it's the best possible version of the Toronto Blue Jays for the next number of years to put yourself in position to win the World Series, then, you know, who really cares? Because that's that's the bottom line. You're absolutely right. And There are so many moves to come. There's so much exciting stuff to look forward to if you are a Blue Jays fan. And if you are looking forward to hearing that, there's no better place to hear it than from Josh on the Fan 590 where you'll hear him all season long hosting Blue Jays talk everywhere. Josh, where else can the people find you uh, uh, here coming into the Blue Jays season? You can find me on Twitter at at Goldberg 12 I know, you know, Twitter is usually not something that is associated with much in the way of good, but I like interacting with you out there, re-Blue Jays. I'm always excited about it. So if you want to hit me up on anything, I'm I'm always diving in with thoughts, you know, meanderings, whatever. Find me on Twitter at Goldberg 12 Awesome. Well, thank you so much for doing this. And uh, and we look forward to hearing you and reading on Twitter and also hearing you on the radio all summer long. Thanks a lot, Josh. Thanks, Josh. Appreciate it. We'll be right back with more spin rate from me and Caitlin. But first, check this out. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, that was really great. Thanks so much to Josh for taking time, big chunk of time. It was great to talk and really dig in uh, about some of these these flexibility questions about some of the the Blue Jays sort of storylines that have that have come out of the acknowledgement that maybe Vlad Guerrero Jr. isn't going to be the third baseman of the future, but uh, still lots of other stuff to talk about. Uh, are there any other like big storylines? Anything ma- major that you uh, uh, want to talk about? You know, one of the things um, that that came out of one of these calls. Uh, and something we didn't talk about last week, we kind of alluded to, and I, I think we should spend a little bit of time on it, and that's George Springer. So everyone knows George Springer's come in to be one of the Blue Jays' best players. George Springer is assigned to every other player in that clubhouse that this is the time is now for us to win ball games. They signed, you know, we talked about a little bit with Josh, but it was something that was in the back of my mind that like George Springer is 31. They signed him to a six year contract. He's not going to be the center fielder for that entire contract, most likely. The more time he spends at center field, the better it. While he's a, still a very productive player, the better it is for everybody. So while that is the time is now uh, uh, for him to to play center field, the time is now for the team to step up and surround him with as much talent as they can. George Springer, who has said all the right things, he talked about the vibes, and you know you talked about that a little bit. But everyone's talking about the camaraderie and the vibes, and everyone gets along really well. And it's it's spring training, which is a little bit natural, and especially when you feel like this is a team. You know, we as a team have a chance to go and, and do some big things this year. Um, but we haven't really, you and I on 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 this podcast haven't really addressed the, the sort of not elephant in the room because everyone's doing a good job of like crumpling crumpling it down and pretending like it isn't there. And that's kind of George Springer's role in the 2017 Astros cheating scandal uh does this follow him here to Toronto and maybe like uh, are we are we not talking about it because he's good realistically like is that is that is it as simple as that like he's going to come out and perform and and what he did was or what he was part of was bad but it's not as it's less bad than some of the other kind of off-field stuff that follows a lot of baseball players around well, actually, George Bringer was asked about this this week, and um, I think we have a clip of what he said, so we'll play it. Now that you're in a new situation, in a new place, do you feel like there might be a time where you might have to address what happened there, or is it all just about moving on? Um, you know, I 
I think this is about the Blue Jays now. And I'm I'm here. I'm going to enjoy my time here and I'm going to enjoy my locker room um, and I'll go from there. So really what you hear from him is he essentially just moves on, wants to move on from the scandal. And I understand that um, I was looking back and, and I do remember writing this uh, a, a couple months ago, like when I was doing some sort of offseason um you know, pieces on who the Blue Jays could get. And obviously George Springer was a guy that they, I, we, we knew they were targeting. And um, I think I tackled this question, like how, how do you reconcile with his um, involvement in that scandal? And if you look back, I mean, I don't know what, how much stock you want to put in this, but like, if you look back as to when they were addressing the scandal, like last spring training, um, bef- when that was the most important thing in baseball and the world and the, and our baseball world, as opposed to like, you know, global pandemic. But, um, you know, when they were all talking about that last spring training, um, his apology was actually one of the more lengthy and sincere ones. Like I think a lot of Astros players came off, um, you know, not great in the apology tour. You know, a lot of them, um, didn't sound as uh, contrite as they could have. A lot of them, you know, kind of just sounded like they were reading off uh, sort of a, a blanket statement that they were were given. And I do remember reading George Springer's apology and thinking that it was of the more sincere variety. Um, and, you know, when you do read about him, things that he's done, um, you know, out, outside of the field, um, you know, he's a, he's a player that has been regarded as a really great teammate. Um, he's a player that does a lot of work for various charities. He does a lot of good work for, uh, not sure what the charity's called, but it's for like kids who stutter. So I know that he's been part of that. So, um, you know, you read a lot about his character. The Blue Jays raved about his character when they signed him. And you're right, though, it was sort of this unspoken thing where nobody really was pointing out that, you know, yes, he's a high character guy and it seems like he's going to come in this clubhouse and, you know, be a leader. But at the same time, um, you know, what about 2017? How do you reconcile that? I assume the Blue Jays talked about that with him um, or they felt like his um, his apology at the time that went out and, and they read it, they felt like that was satisfactory. I don't know. I assume it probably came up. Um and they were satisfied with his answer or they didn't, it didn't concern uh, other qualities of his um, outweighed that one scandal. Um, but I know you're more fired up about it. So <laughs> I, I don't know that I'm fired up about it, but I, I feel like we do want, I do want to give the Blue Jays organization. Well, I don't want to, it's, you can give the Blue Jays organization credit because they have done the bare minimum to prioritize character in the time that this front office has been in place uh not not often at the detriment of the on-field product you know what i mean like the they they they've tried as best as they can or that they've said they've tried as best they can to walk that line and i don't think there's a lot of doubt about uh, george springer's character as a person uh lots of folks rave about it people around the game uh the work that he's done with 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 player or with young with young people with with uh, who stutter is uh is is powerful um but of course he wants to move on he got away scot-free he still got that ring he still got uh i believe he was the world series mvp was he not i believe so yeah and he just got 150 fucking million dollars from the blue jays so yeah let's move on i don't want to talk about this anymore because i got away with it and it's you know 
it's easy and we're free to point out the good things about him when we don't want to acknowledge this. But, but I, I much rather have spend a little bit of time or, or, or watch as we all t- contort ourselves into, um, acceptance for a guy like George Springer more so than if the Blue Jays had signed Trevor Bauer instead. That this would be a lot shittier conversation and it would be less of a contrarian stance as opposed to kind of plugging your nose. I think that, that the way that this, this scandal or scandals in general have sort of been covered and discussed is it's a it's really it's it's like a lot of white collar crimes i think where it's it's whenever this something is uncovered it's like this is going to be a huge story this is going to be huge and then it just sort of goes away right that's the way that that our society i think treats white collar crime the victims aren't as clear as opposed to the cudgel that gets beaten over players who took steroids um and and the, the way that that follows them forever and the way it's the first thing that everyone says about, you know, a lot of different players and, and how it's just become like an immediately disqualifying character trait that they, they fail the test or even if they didn't, right? They didn't fail it, fail a test. And, 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 and a lot of players, uh, uh, you know, David Ortiz, who has kind of outrun that, those allegations and outrun that, that insinuation, but, but other players haven't been as, as fortunate, but, I don't know. I, I do think it's worth mentioning, and, and, and I, I do wonder about um, I do wonder about the way that it is being received among his fellow players. But again, it's it's tough to to be too pissed off about it because if if you're a ball player and you're like, well, he he got paid. Like, what what's the difference? He's got 150 million dollars. My guy's got a lot of commas, and he's got had a lot of apologies to go with it. So. I, I think that, again, because he is reported to be a high character person, the Blue Jays obviously did their due diligence. They, you know, his quote about, you know, wanting to earn respect, I think is powerful because it's, it, it suggests at least that he wants to go in and sort of develop relationships with the other players in the clubhouse and, and let that hopefully let them know where it's coming from. And while that might be the thing that is said, um, in front of reporters and, and whomever else on, on zoom calls or in, in scrums, you, I, I, my hope is that maybe the con, the conversations that are had with fellow players, young players or whatever about the, about the, all of the hoopla around 2017, hopefully those, those conversations are less kind of, uh, trying to push it aside and can maybe have a little bit of a, of, of realness because I think that's, that's key to, earning the respect of, of his teammates, as he said. Yeah. And uh, to your point about, you know, how teammates have reacted. I mean, one thing about this Blue Jays team is because they're so young, a lot of them weren't in the league in 2017. And so it is a bit removed for them. Like I think Bo Bichette must have been in double A at that point, And I don't know where they all of them were, but you know, for them, I, I remember even last year them talking about the scandal and it was just kind of removed from them. Like they had thoughts generally about, um, you know, cheating in baseball. And I remember Bo Bichette in particular was very adamant that he would never do it. And he was, you know, obviously um, pretty, uh, pretty um, outspoken about just cheating in general. But a lot, I remember at the time, like just a lot of them didn't have sort of specific um, thoughts just because they weren't playing in the league. I mean, it interesting is there are a few, um, Dodgers on this Blue Jays team that would be more connected to that. I mean, they happen to be guys that I don't, I mean, I don't know them very well, but they happen to be what I've seen as very nice, potentially very forgiving guys like Hunjin Ryu and Ross Stripling. Um, both guys that have been, um, you know, pretty positive, pretty, um, 
happy about being on the Blue Jays. So I, it would, this isn't my assumption, but I would assume they would probably just want to move on and say we're teammates now and, you know, it's all in the past. And um, so those kinds of things. And, and, you know, honestly, like it actually hasn't come up in other, um, you know, meetings with the players asking them about their thoughts on George Springer. I mean, some of that is just because of the awkward nature of these Zoom calls. Um, Even me, I think that would be a question that I would more just want to ask a player on the side just to get his thoughts on it, you know, not necessarily put them on the spot um, when it's a Zoom's being broadcast to how many different people. So that's one thing. And and this goes back to my point earlier, where is that something that it's a little bit hard to report that nuance right now because we're not inside the clubhouse and we're not seeing those um, things that we would normally see. Like if I was in the clubhouse and every single guy is – um, you know, at George Springer's locker, this is non-pandemic times, obviously. So, you know, no socially distance. Um, but you know, if everyone was at George Springer's locker and it just, it, you get the sense that everyone is getting along and it does sound like they are, everyone is getting along, but you would just kind of see it with your own eyes. And then you might be able to say like, Hey guys, like, you know, did this ever come up or did he have to say anything? And then you might get an answer from them. Um, but you know, I just think, there's a lot of contributing factors. I think the Blue Jays are just sort of looking ahead. They don't really want to dwell on what George Springer was doing in 2017. A lot of these players weren't even in the league at the time. So they particularly don't have any strong ties to it necessarily other than just like general thoughts on cheating in baseball. Um, And I think with George Springer saying all the right things, I assume that if it did come up in private clubhouse meetings where if he did feel the need to say something it would have been along those lines similarly saying he wants to earn their respect he you know he wants to be their teammate first he you know all these like platitudes that sound good um and so yeah but you know i you know it's been asked a couple times now he's answered it the same way twice saying he's going to move on so i don't i don't think it's going to linger as much of a point i mean yeah, I, I, well, don't, no, yeah. You're, I, I don't think it's going to linger in the clubhouse. And I think, again, if he's doing that work, it's always beneficial to not be the bad guy. Don't let yourself be the main character of it. And I think that A, his contrition, B, his reputation, um, uh, and C, the role of like the Alex Bregmans and Carlos Correa's who are, and even Jose Altuve, who are, who have sort of worn it a little bit more maybe than Springer has, has, uh, it allows him to sort of move on with his teammates. Um, you know, there are probably going to be, um, reporters who might have an angle or an agenda who might kind of try to like flap it out there every so often to see if they can get a reaction. Um, people who are maybe less, less inclined to be concerned about putting somebody on the spot in a Zoom call as you are. Uh, but and the biggest thing I think, and what we've seen time and time again, you know, for better or for worse, is that the fans won't care if he hits, right? If George Springer, if George Springer has a 950 OPS and is playing center field every day in June, not a single person, well, maybe not a single person, but the vast majority of people who watch the team, who are cheering for the team, who want the Blue Jays to win the World Series, will not give a single shit about what he did or didn't do in 2017 and 2018 and 2019. The whole thing <laughs> and, with, and, with the And buzzer. honestly, like, even when he signed, um, like going back to your point about like Trevor Bauer and what our conversation would be if that occurred and um, the reaction to from Dodgers fans um, was very strong. A, a lot of them not big fans of Bauer being on 
their team. Um, and just the Blue Jays, though, I like I, I saw the occasional tweet or reaction um, about him being on the 2017 Astros. <laughs> um, but it wasn't overwhelming. Like I didn't, you know, it didn't. I think you're right that like it's kind of a crime that's been forgotten a little bit. It's been a long time. Um, it feels like, uh, it feels like they got away with it, but it also kind of feels like, well, you know, the organization did their time, so to speak. Um, and I think it feels like they got away with it. I think it feels like they got away with it 100%. <laughs> uh, but, but also I think the fact that it's the blue Jays and I don't, I do not think that this factored into his decision-making at all. But George Springer becoming the, the single highest free agent contract they've ever handed out, coming to the Blue Jays of his own volition, which you know, on the heels of Hyunjin Ryu is maybe less of a huge deal. But this is this was still a big deal. This was the number one free agent on the board, I, I think for a lot of folks, choosing the Toronto Blue Jays. The Dodgers got guys making $25 million falling out of their ears. You know, the Dodgers fans, the, the, the team has won the division, won eight years in a row. Like, they have the privilege of being able to pick and choose who they like on the team, who who is going to make a difference, who might help to push them over the over the edge, especially since they just won the World Series, where they can be like, no, nah, you know what? This doesn't sit well with my team of superstars and Hall of Famers, and we got Mookie Betts for a song, and Clayton Kershaw is the best pitcher, of, you know, of his generation, and he's played his entire career here. So, nah, keep your Trevor Bauer. Like, they have that, maybe some of those fans who are those who are m- willing to make make that decision they have that privilege where blue jays fans are like holy shit george springer plays for the fucking blue jays can you believe it and people will be like did he cheat i don't care he came here of it on purpose he didn't get traded he's not complaining he's not whining about what kind of cable he's got or, or how things are different or crossing customs he knew all that stuff and still picked the blue jays so that's a great way to become a, a fan favorite forever as long as he hit uh so yeah when if he's producing at a, at a, at a high level all will be forgiven again. I think they most he, he they definitely got away with it. Other than a couple, uh, the, a couple of front office types who fell on their sword. I don't think it's going to follow Springer. I do think it's something that we did need to talk about, and I'm glad that we did. Um, but we can talk about something else now. What do you think? Anything else that you do want to talk about? Um, what has come up at? Um, oh, well, one thing that we can jump. Did we talk about this last time? But it's kind of Springer adjacent, but. Maybe we can just talk briefly about the um, lead leadoff hitter and where what the Blue Jays could do with with their leadoff spot. I mean, a couple of days ago, it all blurs into one. But a couple of days ago, like Springer was kind of asked about um, you know what his preference would be. Obviously, he's been a proven leadoff hitter, um, and then Simeon was asked as well, um, and he kind of said he had his best year in leadoff spot. It, it was sort of a, a role that he adjusted to, but he really liked it. Um, Biggio obviously has been lead off in Toronto for the last season. Um, you know, Montoyo really liked him in that spot. He didn't move around very much um, outside of my first couple weeks or whatever it was. But um, yeah, so it was funny though, because like both Simeon and um, Springer were kind of asked about leadoff spot and they both gave a, gave a very similar answer, which was like, having too many leadoff hitters is a good problem to have. Um, what are your thoughts? I mean, I, I think that you put Springer there. Like, I, I think that that is just the choice that you make, um, just given what he can do. But I mean, I, they do have options. Even Bo Bichette has, has let off, um, throughout his career, especially in the minor leagues. I I think it's gotta be Springer. I think that while Marcus Simeon had, says he had his best, uh, season leading off 
I think Springer is just really is the profile of the modern sort of leadoff hitter. And, and I am very much of the sort of, I don't know, bronze age or iron age mind of like, you put your best hitters one, two, and four, right? In my mind, in, in, a, in a way, um, maybe Bo Bichette is almost an ideal number three hitter because he, he doesn't draw a lot of walks. And realistically, he's going to come up with nobody on. Uh, as much as anything so so you know to that token maybe he isn't the best number three hitter uh, you, you know someone who's got a lot of power but maybe not a lot of the other stuff i kind of like that as a number three like hitter. Gurriel, i always think could be number three maybe yeah i think that that the thing with the blue jays lineup is they have they ha- other than biggio uh, you know biggio draws a ton of walks uh, uh springer you know is, is is has a well above average walk rate but they don't have a ton of other guys who are who love to take walks Vlagaro jr in walks at a, a about a, above average uh a league average bug above league average rate but he doesn't strike out ever right so i think that to, not because of my own baggage but i think that where you slot vlad is really telling um because i think that if things go the way they should go, fingers crossed, you might want to, might love, I might love Vladimir Guerrero Jr. hitting cleanup. Maybe you got Telez hitting third just to throw a lefty in there. And again, a guy with tons of pop who might come up with two outs and be able to put a run on the board. And then you get Vladdy up again if that's if the way you've built your lineup. But I think it's, um, you know, when you have a lot of good players, a lot of good offensive players, there's no real wrong way to do it. Um, you know, just as we talked about with, with our guest Josh Goldberg about, um, Sort of finding the the balance between placating and winning ball games. Um, if you run them out there one through six or seven in almost any order, you can pick, start picking names out of the hat. You know, as long as you're not giving Danny Jansen more plate appearances and you're giving George Springer, you're probably going to be just fine. Yeah, and I think the point was made. Charlie made this point earlier this week, and it's like the Yankees are a very right-handed lineup, but they're not necessarily worrying about you know, having mixing up the left-handers, like they just know that they are going to be a lineup that hits. Like they don't really worry that they're right-hander heavy, right? So mm-hmm. I think the Blue Jays could be similar. And, you know, Montoyo made the comparison. I don't think, uh, I think the Blue Jays could follow that kind of model. Um, and it's kind of, they have no choice, right? Like they've only really got Biggio, Telez. If Panic makes a team, he's a lefty, right? Um, mm-hmm. But I mean, he would only be kind of, filling in or like utility kind of role. So you, he's not getting those every day at bats. So, but I think you're right. Like, I think that as long as this team is hitting, the lineup isn't going to matter that much. And I, I, I've been asked this question a, a number of times and I really don't have a good answer for it. Cause I don't really know, but like the, is the lineup going to be continuously changing the way that we've seen it in the past? Like Montoya loved mixing guys around and like moving guy up. If he was hitting well, moving a guy down, I'm sure that will still happen a little bit. He's, he has that sort of minor league manager mentality where he wants to take pressure off guys. If, you know, especially with the young players, like I remember at some point last year, like Vlad moved down in the lineup because of, you know, wasn't hitting well. And then he started Mm -hmm. hitting better in the bottom of the lineup. And it was like, well, okay, well, you know, maybe there's less pressure here. So I imagine like that kind of stuff would still happen. Cause like really this team is still kind of figuring themselves out, especially some of the younger players who, um, you know, are not quite, uh, really haven't had like a full, full normal season in the major league. So probably Mm -hmm. there's going to be some mixing there, but I don't know. I think if they get a flow, like you could see, you could see pretty similar lineups throughout the throughout the season. I think to what we've been talking about a lot this week is a lot of it obviously has to do with who it is that's that's filling out that lineup every day. Who are the players that are, that are getting the lion's share of, of play? And and you know, I I think as I think about it, and as you're talking, you know, 
I know that Charlie Montoya, you know, lifetime guy in the game, so he recognizes the players put stock in where they hit. If they, if someone is like, I'm a leadoff hitter, other guys like, I'm a cleanup hitter, and and they want to be able to come up and and do damage and get stakes and you know make money, all those sorts of things. All, all uh, they all kind of go in together. But for for me, the lineup is there to be optimized for scoring runs. So maybe as as you were talking, and I started thinking, it's like, okay, let's let's think about who are the Blue Jays' best like on base threats. And if Kevin Biggio is as good as everybody says he is, uh, he's a guy who gets on base a ton. So maybe you go Springer first and Biggio second, and then you've got, and then if you put Bichette say third, now you've got two guys on base, two guys who are good on base guys, but also who are very good base runners. Which you can't say that a lot about a lot of the rest of the players on the team. So if you've got good base runners on base and then you've got a guy like Bichette who puts the ball in play a ton and never doesn't really walk so maybe you have that opportunity to score a lot more runs that way and then if you've got Telez or Guerrero kind of hitting after after those two of three at four five however it might work out then maybe Marcus Simeon is like your could be a great number six hitter or maybe he can be a great number five hitter if Raddy Telez isn't able to replicate um, his his really productive 2020 season so there's lots of options Um, I think it's it's this is like the this and the who is the 25th man on the roster are like the most spring training conversations than any two people can have. But, uh, but it, it can be fun again because, because you have options, right? Because it's not like, you know, when, if it comes to, we haven't even talked about Tay Oscar Hernandez, who was a silver slugger last year. And it's like, maybe he can hit sixth, you know, or, 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 you know, if Marcus Simeon, you bring him in and if he's hitting seventh to start the season, even though he wants to hit cleanup, you know, I think that Charlie Montoya was the kind of guy who will do whatever he can to honor that. Okay, well, you're hitting and you want to hit cleanup. Okay, go, go, go ahead and move Springer to fourth and we'll just move everybody around. But they do have an, enough offensive players that it is a fun conversation as opposed to, uh, just like covering your eyes and being like, Oh boy, I hope Randall Gritchick doesn't come up with people on base or whatever, whatever. Yeah. A lot of, I, 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 I'm the guy that defends Randall Gritchick. This isn't, this isn't how this is supposed to go. I'm not supposed to be making easy jokes at the expense of Randall Gritchick. I'm the guy that defends him, which is no way to live. I'm the guy that defends Gritchick and tears down Biggio. This is the the life I chose. But anyway, the point is lots of different things that can work. The left right thing uh, again, maybe looking at the Blue Jays at a, in a bit with a bit more nuance, like who are the who are the the best hitters to say handle a belly high fastball. So if you've got somebody who loves to pound the top end of the top part of the zone with fastballs, build your lineup that, that in a way that reflects that. Who is it that can handle that heat? Um, you know, if if it's somebody who throws really hard, you maybe you want to move you know, BGO down in the lineup because it's something that maybe he's showed that he struggled with in his big league career. And and God only knows what will happen in twenty twenty one. Hopefully that's something that he can solve because he can be a huge player. For the team. So a lot of fun. And I think it's something we'll continue to talk about. And it's a great way to make people's heads explode too. When they, when you see the lineup and you're like, what on earth is going on? Why is this guy hitting here? It's a, it's a story as old as time. Speaking of a story that's old as time, one thing I did want to talk about real quick. And I don't know, I know, I know that you're maybe not in love with the idea. Uh, but about this goof, the Mariners CEO, uh, who has become the main character on uh, uh on on twitter in the last couple of days who eventually stepped down um who had a lot of ridiculous things to say and are called with the rotary club of all places <laughs> to say the quiet parts out loud uh i i know that there's the garrett cole of the of the yankees who, who is the yankees uh, player rep had a lot of um a really intelligent man garrett cole uh, that's a a guy that is easy to cheer for. He is a really smart, thoughtful, good ball player. It's kind of like the whole package uh, there in stupid Yankees. But uh, I, I don't know. I know you, no one likes to talk about labor strife. No one likes to, <laughs> to think about what's going to happen in 2021, but this has been a very kind of 
you know, this is a really odd way to start spring training with, with kind of people being, you know, players being on guard, players being able to say things out loud that they haven't been able to say, which is essentially, you know, we got you. Like this guy has said out loud, he's manipulating service time. And, and I, I wonder if that's something that, that the Blue Jays were kind of unashamed or unabashed in their, in their, maybe they are, maybe I'm being overly critical, but, there was a lot of folks that would have had Vladdy come up a little bit earlier than he did. But at the same time, they've, they've shown this willingness. These guys are, these guys are up. And, and, you know, it'll be interesting to see again, as we've put so much emphasis on the team has to win and the Blue Jays have put that emphasis there themselves. Maybe we'll see less of that. Maybe we'll see less service time manipulation, um, moving forward as the Blue Jays are just looking to, you know, if these guys can make a difference and we're going to bring them up. Yeah, I mean, they don't have anyone this year that I would say is on the cusp of, um, the majors that haven't already been in the majors. So, mm. but I think just generally like about this conversation, um, I did see Josh Donaldson's tweet the other day. I don't know if you saw that one. I liked, you know, how he put it and, you know, more power to the players and essentially just saying like, here's our evidence. Like th- we knew that this was happening. We knew that teams were operating like this, but now it's very clear. Like there it is. There's video evidence and, um, and you know, just, just generally like the the upcoming CBA negotiations are just going to be you know something to watch and and you know back to the blue jays like with the service time manipulation like it sucked like it it sucked that vlad had to wait whatever it was like 3 weeks or something into the season to get called up i mean i guess like you could make the argument now that like he did need more development um it certainly um you know was an adjustment for him to come to the major leagues but just generally like just the idea that teams can kind of exploit that loophole you know on the one hand you you know the blue jays are just doing what every other team out there is doing like they are just exploiting this loophole that exists and um you know the issue is to get that out of the next CBA to, you know, rectify, rectify, you know, the, the service time or come up with something else so that teams can't exploit that loophole at the mm-hmm. same time. Like it, it would be, uh, was there a team that I can't remember what, but I thought there was like a team that called up a player when he was just simply ready. And was it Tatis? Like, I don't, I don't know. Maybe well, it Tatis but started, like, started the season last year. He made the team uh, on opening day or was it last year or, or, or 29 might've been 2019, but like yeah. they didn't, they didn't, the Padres didn't bother with, yeah. with, with manipulating Tatis's to service time. It would have been easy to have keep him, kept him down for a few extra weeks, but he made the team coming right out of spring. It might've been 20, yeah. 2019 because that was, um, that was Manny Machado's first year there in, in San Diego. But, uh, and now, of course, they've they've made that point, uh, uh, you know, put that beside the point by signing up to a 14 year contract. So uh, the one thing, of course, that I will say is that we we all the language that we use is important. We always talk about this is exploiting a loophole. It's not really a loophole because they lie about it. They continue. They're breaking the rules. And if it was a loophole, they'd be like, we're just going to exploit loophole 3A. They're, but instead, they're being like. Well, I don't know what you're talking about. And right. then they, they do this thing where, where I, and, and the, the Tatis uh, contract, uh, Tatis junior contract has opened conversations about, you know, is Bo Bichette and, and he, he floated it out there that, that they, they have had a, some talks, but they never really got too far, which again, which is something that, uh, this Padres goof mentioned, which was that they had, um, uh, uh made a contract proposal to, uh, is it Jared, uh, Kalenik? Um, that, yeah. yeah, that, that, and then he turned it down and then he sort of was like, whoa, hold on. What's everybody talking about? But 
my big thing is is you know you look if a player like Vladimir Guerrero Jr. can come to the big leagues and struggle, then there's no need to manipulate anybody's service time because there's no sure things in this world. There's no there's no, you know the value of manipulating service time is so minute because the chances of it becoming that big an issue down the road, I think is 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 not worth worrying about. That that. But playing the big leagues is hard and maybe you might get might need to get sent down and if a guy comes up and you bring him up right away and he's hitting like gangbusters that's good you know you could take care of that you can sign him sign him to a deal but now you know with Vlad Jr and I, I um did a did a, a, a newsletter episode about this uh, yesterday which is like there's absolutely no need to 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 sign to t- or sign Guerrero Jr to anything you know you can go year to year like show show us and you know, there's no need for breakout insurance because it's like, okay, well, if you sign him now, why would he sign anything now? He's had two kind of lackluster seasons. Same with Bo Bichette. It's like, why would he sign anything now? And 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 while I guess you know, if you can set up somebody up, and the, the the idea of the statue contract, which I which I love, and, and everyone loves to loves to hear, n- nobody on the Blue Jays is really in that kind of a situation right now where you need to worry about you know where you're where you're thinking. I need to get we need to get this guy's name on a contract forever. Um, you know, even though. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Boba Chet are have the potential to be, you know, franchise great players for for a long, long time. Well, yeah, I mean, and speaking of our guest Josh, like him and I text, and we were texting after the Boba Chet thing, and um, you know, Bichette has the uh, the potential to be a franchise player, but <laughs> he's played seventy five games, so like, let's slow down on you know, extending him just right. Yeah. Like let's let him have a full major league season um, and then have that conversation. Obviously the blue Jays probably doing their due diligence, want to float it out there with him, just kind of get a sense of how he thinks about it. Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't think in, I don't think that that's going to be a necessarily topic this season. I would say maybe next off season heats up, especially if if he has a good year, but uh, certainly I don't, I think, all the young Blue Jays at this point kind of need to have a real um, breakout season under their full season under their belt before that really becomes um, something that is going to be uh, like a talking point around the Blue Jays. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think if I'm if I'm a pitcher, if I'm Nate Pearson, if I'm the Blue Jays, and I'm looking to get you know uh, if Nate Pearson is has a great 2021, maybe you start thinking about a contract that looks similar to maybe the one say that Chris sale signed where it's like you're providing it breakout breakdown insurance to him because there's so much potential to, for any pitcher to get hurt so that if you can get their name on a, on a contract and, and have those options built in such that, yeah, you know, Chris sale was vastly underpaid at the end of that deal, but also, you know, he's Chris sale and everyone has sees what it looks like when he pitches and his arm could fly off at any time. So he got, he made a ton of money either way. So, so it's, uh, it, maybe if Nate, Nate Pearson's the one that you might want to be able to have a bit more, a bit more movement with. But if I'm, if I'm Vlad, if I'm Bo, you know, if, if I have a great season this year, you know, one, you know, I, I'm setting myself up for some big R rewards down the road. And then, but, and then another big, you know, free agent payday where, you know, the money is so rarely there for, um, for pitchers. You know, I mean, even look at what Trevor Bauer got and he's a guy who's always healthy. So, so there's, it's just a whole different kind of a conversation. Um, um, it's, it's, uh, an odd note to start the season, but at the same time, it's, it's still, these are still like issues that the players uh, are facing every day. And it's something that, that, that fans are talking about, right? That, that Tatis contract just blows everybody's mind and it gets everybody ca- talking. And, and it's, it's a, you know, the idea of needing to manipulate those, someone's service time is like a first world problem, so to speak, where 
It's like if 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 I am uh, if my team is worried about how much this guy is going to make five years from now, then things have gone pretty well. Good problem. Good problem. We have a good problem, which is we've had too much to talk about today. <laughs> so I think that we should wrap it up, Caitlin, who you can True. follow on Twitter at Caitlin C McGrath. What can so the you did a Q and A on theathletic.com this week. Anything else that you want to like tease or hype or what else you got coming or, or, or had come out uh, uh, for the folks to read this week? Well, something that is coming out, and I think I'm allowed to say it because the Blue Jays have been teasing it. Um, they are going to be unveiling their uh, new player complex tomorrow. So mm. we've been hearing the players talk about it. It's this magnificent new facility. Shapiro has been talking about it for like four years. So, um, finally, they're going to show us some photos, show, them, show us some video. Um, you know, we'll get the rundown of it. So I will have something on that, like lots of photos, basically like a really nice photo gallery for people to look at tomorrow, um, at some point tomorrow. And uh, yeah, and then I'm I'm starting to work, like I said before, on some hopefully neat stories, some features that I'm kind of chipping away at. So as spring rolls along, I will have some some hopefully some good stories for everyone to read. Hopefully good. They'll be good. I know they'll be good. <laughs> Caitlin. Caitlin McGrath, who you can read on The Athletic. And if you haven't subscribed, I cannot recommend highly enough that you go to theathletic.com slash spin rate, where you can get yourself a tidy discount on a one-year athletic subscription. So you don't need to subscribe to listen to the show. As I mentioned off the top, you can subscribe to the podcast Anywhere you get your podcast, uh, as I said, uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all those places. If you want to hit us with a with a with a review, with a with a five star or a comment, whatever it is, we really appreciate that. It's going to help uh, help our show continue to grow and uh, and become the best Blue Jays podcast that it can be. So her name is Caitlin McGrath. My name is Drew Fairservice. By the way, you can if you want to read about me talking about Vladimir Guerrero Jr. All the time, you can subscribe to my newsletter at fairservice.substack.com. And that's fun if you're into that. But her name is Caitlin. My name is Drew. We'll talk to you next time on Spin Rap. Right.